Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. episode 172 thank you so much for listening buiti binafi and bienvenidos bitches this is fruit loops it's a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about contrary to popular belief not all serial killers are straight cis white dudes what no there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color and fruit loops is a podcast all about them we take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because why and don't worry megan markle we seented what they done did to you yeah and yes the news is racist but i have to say because it's in the script allegedly (laughs) (laughs) and we are wendy and beth she's wendy a black latinx woman and i'm beth and i just happen to be white That's right. It's not her fault. And we love her. (laughs) And we're not journalists, investigators or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6298. Nine four, <laughs> <laughs> and we may feature it on a future episode. Our website is fruitloopspod.com, and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops Patreon. Yeah, you can also support us by supporting our sponsors. Yeah, now who? are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about Jesse Leroy Matthew Jr., who was convicted of murdering two women in Charlottesville, Virginia. Oh boy, Charlottesville. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, before we get into it, how you doing? 
Good. We had our second video club meeting uh, this past weekend, and we had a lot of fun talking with Minnie about Untold, the girlfriend who didn't exist. Yeah, we had a blast. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And we're also looking for a spooky true crime doc to review in October. So if you guys have any ideas, shoot us an email or a message or whatever. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm clean out of ideas. So let us yeah. know what y'all think. Um well, uh I'm good. Happy to be here. Um all is well. Fall is here. There's like six planets in reggaeton right now. So <laughs> everything is very fucked up. I don't know oh, if you've okay. noticed no. in your life water heaters busted. Car- on my commute to work, cars flipped all up and down the road. Oh my god. Uh it w- it's just crazy it's 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 a wild time so if you are if you are experiencing difficulties at this time i think that's why that's Um, why so there you have it um this has been astrology corner with (laughs) wendy and but mostly wendy yeah mostly wendy now we're gonna hop into some listener letters hello angels thank you Oh, look at that beautiful mailbag. What's in yeah. that bag, Beth? Well, I wanted to say thank you to Mike Calavary for your five-star review. Oh, yes. Thank you. And a hip-hop yes. air horn and a one and a two and a where is the button? There it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I also wanted to say thank you to Mel for your comment about the railroad killer case and Gwyneth for your comment about the Sheila Davalu episode. Ah, really interesting stuff. Yes. Yeah. We thank you all for getting at us sorry i've been um delaying responses but i see all of them we see all of them and we get to them as quickly as we can so thank you for rocking with us and for being patient with us for being regular regular gals uh (laughs) so we have no uh new patreons but um we did get a fun question from somebody on um instagram and it was from nakia and she was like, uh, got a question for you all. Do you think you guys would be friends if you guys didn't meet at work? Anywho, hmm. didn't want to leave a long message. Just wanted to say hi and love the show. And we love you too, Nakia. Yeah, yes. thank you. <laughs> um, I think we would be. Yeah, I think so. I yeah. mean, work was just where we met. Yeah. So if we met somewhere else, I think we'd be friends. Yeah. I think we would have found each other somewhere on the true crime space on the internet. And yeah. been like, hey. Your name's Beth. Hey, Beth. My name's Wendy. Hey, Wendy. Should we do a podcast? Yeah. What are we going to do it about, Beth? Oh, I don't know. Like that. It would have gone like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it kind of freaks me out. If we wouldn't have met, we wouldn't be doing this. And that kind of freaks me out. It does. But I really, I I think that um, more astrology corner, I bet we were friends or something in a past life. Yeah. And I, feel I, like, I feel like. I feel like we that. just we would have found each other. Each other. Yeah. 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 So there Agreed. you go, Nikki. I hope that answers your question to your satisfaction. <laughs> now, uh, let's uh, take a quick break and then we'll get into the story when we come back. episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour a day? Hmm. Spend more time with your kids, go to the Hmm. gym, Hmm. work on a hobby, 
take a nap? <laughs> Can you do all those things in 60 minutes? Just kidding. <laughs> you know, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. Yeah. But what we do with that time, we don't always know. But the best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what it is. And therapy can help you figure that out. Find what matters to you most and make it a priority so that you can find the time to do more of it. Yeah. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for everyone. Mm -hmm. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. And I've been in and out of therapy most of my life. Same. And it has had such a positive influence on my life that I honestly do not know who I would be without therapy. And I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know either. <laughs> Listen, Bev and I have both used BetterHelp. Yeah. And we love it. And if you are thinking of starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com fruit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash fruit. Something is creeping Don't follow it down Let me introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. The type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless the long con. That's clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. All right, we're back. Remind us, Beth, who is our subject today? Today we're talking about Jesse Leroy Matthew Jr., who was convicted of murdering two women in Charlottesville, Virginia, as well as a sexual assault of a young woman in Fairfax, Virginia, and he's also suspected of other crimes as well. Yeah, so now it's time for some stats. Let's get into it. So as Beth said, our subject today is has two confirmed murder victims, but there are numerous sources that link Matthew to numerous other sexual assaults and disappearances of women and femmes. Um, the victims that he was convicted of murdering are Virginia Tech student Morgan Harrington, who was 20, and University of Virginia student Hannah Graham, who was 18. The murders took place in October of 2009 and September 2014, and in a shocking twist with karma... This motherfucker got diagnosed with a deadly disease. Yeah. Um, so now we're going to get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Well, the setting is Charlottesville, Virginia, which lies on the Ravana River in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains, about 70 miles northwest of Richmond. Overlooking the city is Monticello, the home designed uh, by Thomas Jefferson. Uh, Constructed between 1768 and 1809. Actually, the homes of three former presidents are located in Charlottesville. Along with Monticello, there's James Madison's home, Montpelier, and James Monroe's called Ashlawn. Charlottesville is very proud of these historical roots. 
Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> Which part are you guys proud of? Well, we talked about the founding fathers are complicated. All these yeah. men, I'm pretty sure, owned slaves. And mm-hmm. Monticello um, had a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But the, uh, they actually helped build it, right? Right. Indeed. Uh, right. Oh, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, they're they're complicated. And when we yeah. talk about them, we have to say they did all this stuff to, you know, for our country and founding fathers, yada, yada. But they also did some pretty horrendous some stuff, stuff. Yeah. including trafficking in human beings, rape, all those other things, owning, you know, it's it's just a, a, a nuanced conversation. Anyway, yeah. the earliest known settlement in the area was a Native American village, the Monacan village of Manasakupana, located approximately five miles north of the present center of town on a hillside overlooking the Rivana River. By the mid-1750s, much of the area had been claimed by white people. Nicholas Merriweather II, great-great-grandfather of Merriweather Lewis, best known for his role as the leader of the Lewis and Clark expedition, secured a 15,000-acre land grant along the Southwest Mountains. 1,190 of these acres later became modern-day Charlottesville. And I'm sorry, I'm just checking the paperwork here. How how did you come across this um, land, Mr. Lewis? <laughs> oh, you stole it? Oh. Okay, Uh, let's move on. So Charlottesville was named after Charlotte Sophia, queen consort of King George III of England, which was chartered in 1762. The town was established along the three-notched road, which followed a Monacan hunting trail from Richmond to the Shenandoah Valley. The section of the road which traversed Charlottesville is now the historic downtown mall and East Main. The town grew slowly. The presence of several hills meant that different neighborhoods developed independently of each other. The town's first taverns, shops, and small businesses evolved around Court Square, an area that is said to have been frequented by Jefferson, Madison, and Monroe. Madison and Jefferson are merciless. Hate the sin, love the sinner. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta go. Decisions are happening over dinner. Now, the area is home to the University of Virginia, founded by Thomas Jefferson in 1819, which drives economic and population growth throughout the region. By 1824, there were about 600 inhabitants. The area's first railroad service, the Louisa Railroad Company, was established in 1850. The lines increased trade and manufacturing and provided reliable communication for the area. Charlottesville incorporated as a city in 1888. At the time, the city covered 781 acres and had a population of approximately 1,700. By 1930, the population of Charlottesville had grown to a little over 15,000. Although there is some light industry and agriculture, Charlottesville's economy is now based on educational services. Oh, because of all the universities that are right, there. Right. Makes sense. Now, during the Civil War, which was fought between 1861 and 1865, Virginia joined the Confederacy. Big mistake, because they are <laughs> losers in seceding from the Union. Most, but not all, Virginians supported the Confederacy. After Confederates fired on Fort Sumter, South Carolina, the war moved to Virginia. Union forces made several failed attempts to capture Richmond, and Confederate General Robert E. Lee twice invaded the North only to be defeated in battle. In 1863, Unionists in the western part of the state established West Virginia. If you've ever wondered, why is there a West 
Virginia. That's uh, why. That's why. Now, on the home front, both white and black people suffered food shortages and some were forced to flee their homes. The Confederate government instituted a draft. Oh, that always goes well. A conscription yeah. law and in some cases confiscated private property for the use of the military. By the way, if you've ever read your insurance policy mm -hmm. there's no coverage if the military comes in and takes <gasps> your stuff really all that shit is excluded yeah look it up look Whoa, it up i just bought I did not some new insurance that. i was like wait a minute if there's wait war it's not covered what wow <laughs> so anyway <That's> nuts <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so one in five white men who fought for the confederacy died by the time lee surrendered in 1865 much of the state had been ravaged by war but the end of fighting also meant freedom for enslaved black people. And in the years that followed, as Black Virginians struggled to overcome institutionalized white supremacy and earn full citizenship rights, many white Virginians began to interpret the Civil War in a way that presented the war from the perspectives of the Confederates in the best possible light. Wow, that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> this interpretation romanticizes the Old South and the Confederate war effort, distorting history in the process. A way of saving face, it provided white Southerners with some something to be proud of rather than ashamed of. But it's a total lie. Yeah. And it's weird listening to white people who um, whose that. ancestors, yeah, were yeah. Um, Confederate soldiers who will say, oh, but the and the slaves were part of the family. They were yeah. happy. <laughs> yeah. But they couldn't go home and do whatever they wanted and stuff. Okay. So called the lost cause, it was largely accepted in the years following the war by white Americans who found it to be a useful tool in reconciling North and South. In this alternate false fucking reality, slavery's central role in the Civil War is minimized. And the Confederacy's aim is promoted as a heroic. Oh, they're heroes, see? One centered around states' rights. <laughs> and that makes Black people nervous. Anybody yeah. who's had their rights um, taken away in any capacity ought to be trembling in their boots at the sign of states' rights. It yeah. glorifies the Ku Klux Klan, portrays the white South as the victim, and soft peddles the atrocities of slavery. Northern abolitionists are portrayed as provocateurs, and slavery is sentimentalized. White Southerners tell stories of the happy slave, uh -huh. the mammy or Uncle Tom, who are actually a part of the family, and we're happy to be there. Uh -huh. They claim that Black people were absolutely fine with slavery because they were treated well, and they were unprepared for the responsibilities of freedom anyway yeah of that's a, that's a common one yeah. that they were yeah. better off when they were enslaved because right. well they had homes and yeah. uh jobs fuck you that guys didn't, that paid zero <laughs> but you know uh <laughs> they were part of the family it, we loved them even sure. when we whipped them sure you did Sure you did. Now, uh, Confederate soldiers are portrayed as courageous, heroic, and saintly, particularly Robert E. Lee, which is a terrifying idea. They only lost the war because of the Union's greater size and industrial wealth and its willingness to let their men die. But the Confederates, oh boy, had greater morality and military skill. That's why you lost after four years. But according to the lost cause, they had fought nobly for noble ends. Hmm? <laughs> what? <laughs> Southern women are portrayed as loyal to the Confederate cause and sanctified by the sacrifice of their loved ones. Uh -huh. More so than their Northern counterparts, they willingly sacrifice their husbands, fathers, sons, and neighbors while simultaneously giving their time and resources for the cause. Is that what we are supposed to 
see when we look at Scarlett O'Hara, that white lady yes. from um, Gone with yep. the Wind? Oh, yeah. Cool. All the Southern women. Yeah, that's why they're so wonderful, I guess. Oh, of I course. Never seen it, but I'll take your word for it. Now, <laughs> it is true that Southern white women suffered many hardships during the war. With their men gone, they still had to take care of business. They worked at home, in the fields, and in factories. Food was scarce, but many working class and poor white women did not support the Confederacy or withdrew their support during the war. Wealthy white Southern women were a different story. And I don't know if we mentioned this in the script. I think the Civil War is one of our deadliest wars. Um, yeah. The most Americans died like ever. And yeah. that's yeah. on American soil. That's crazy. Yeah. In the years following the war, elite white women were central in establishing memorials and promoting the lost cause. In 1865 and 1866, these women transformed their wartime soldiers' aid associations into organizations bent on memorializing the lost cause. I would just love to infiltrate one of those meetings. What what (laughs) could you possibly have to say? Now, the United Daughters of the Confederacy had an almost singular focus on making sure the lost cause propaganda was ingrained in the minds of Southern youth. The most effective tool was school textbooks. Through the Rutherford Committee, the UDC ensured that Southern schools used only those history books loyal to the lost cause. And this still goes on today, you guys. Yeah. They yeah. are heavily involved in the textbooks that our kids are looking at to this right. day. Lost cause lessons were taught to multiple generations of Southerners, in part through public school curriculums. There were also book banning campaigns against books that offended the UDC. It was not unusual for UDC members to actually be appointed to the state textbook commissions. Um, the more things change, the more they sure sound they stay the same. The, same. <laughs> yeah. the UDC also conducted essay contests on topics like the origin of the Ku Klux Klan and the right of secession. Submissions were routinely in the thousands. And in 1932 alone, the North Carolina division placed 183 portraits of Confederate figures in the state's public schools, along with 206 Confederate flags. Why so many? The following year, it was 800 and 65 flags wow. for losers. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the UDC is probably best known for its erection of monuments to honor the Confederate cause. Through chapters in Virginia, other Southern states, and even a handful in the North, members directed a lot of their efforts towards raising funds for Confederate monuments. Estimates vary, but from 450 to 700 statues, markers, and buildings were placed in the South and other parts of the United States as a result of the group's efforts. And their efforts kicked up when civil rights kicked up. So, yeah, right. That's when the monuments didn't come up immediately after the Civil War or doing it. It was when black people started to get rights. Yeah. But Southerners were not the only ones to provide a false narrative of events. Uh oh. A white narrative of the war took hold both in the North and the South. And this recasting of reality, <laughs> it's alternative facts, <laughs> which is a reunion narrative for the whole nation. The Civil War was a family quarrel. Wow. In which both sides were doing the best that they could. Right and wrong did not enter into it. But by minimizing race in the story of the war, white Americans felt free to minimize race not only in the past, but in the present. Oh, my Mm. God. Hip hop air horn. (laughs) What a line. Oh, my God. That was a good one. 
Reconstruction, the era following the Civil War between 1865 and 1877, was an effort to reintegrate the southern states from the Confederacy and four million newly freed people into the United States. During Reconstruction, newly enfranchised Black people gained a voice in the government for the first time in American history, winning elections to southern state legislatures and even to the U.S. Congress. In less than a decade, however, reactionary forces, including the Ku Klux Plan reversed the changes brought by Reconstruction in a violent, very violent backlash that restored white supremacy in the South. And during the 1880s and 1890s, white Southerners embarked on a concerted and widespread effort to reverse the policies of Reconstruction. Through the use of domestic terrorism and Jim Crow laws, they removed Black officeholders, disenfranchised Black people, obstructed Black economic advancement, and instituted state-sanctioned segregation. The lost cause continues to be an important part of how the Civil War is commemorated in the South and remembered in American popular culture. The lost cause tenets frequently emerge during controversies surrounding public display of the Confederate flag and Confederate statues. On the evening of June 17, 2015, 21-year-old Dylan Roof opened fire on a group of people attending a Bible study at Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in downtown Charleston, South Carolina, killing nine people, all of them black. Remember that day. Um, yep. On his website, Roof had posted a 2,444-word manifesto along with his white supremacist views. Through the website, Roof went on rants about the killing of Trayvon Martin and the 2015 Baltimore protests that were sparked by the death of Freddie Gray while Gray was in police custody. According to a childhood friend, he also often claimed that, quote, blacks were taking over the world, unquote. Whoa. Well, <laughs> I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but uh, <laughs> that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> well, not in the United States, but yeah. in in a global context, yeah, there's more black and brown people than there are whites. It's just a fact. Yeah. Um, yeah. But True. I um people like Dylan Roof are awful pressed about it. More pressed yeah. than I think is warranted. Yes, agreed. Roof's neo-Confederate and white supremacist ideology led to national discussions of Confederate memory and calls for monuments, including those erected by the UDC, to come down. I'm getting flashbacks of this period in this time. This period, yeah. Let's write about too. when we were like, we should start a podcast. It, so in, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in, in 2017, the decision to move remove a statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee from a city park was met with protests, including a Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville on August 11th and 12th that was organized by several white supremacist groups. Violent scuffles sprang up all weekend. During one of these, six white men surrounded and beat DeAndre Harris, a black man, with a metal pipe and wooden boards. Moments before the attack, DeAndre Harris had intervened in a scuffle after a friend tried to yank a Confederate flag away from a marcher, Harold Cruz. Cruz, a state chairman of the neo-Confederate group League of the South, filed a complaint against Harris, which eventually led the Charlottesville Police Department to issue a warrant for Harris's arrest. Of what? After he got beat up. After yeah. he got beaten on a felony charge of malicious wounding. He was later acquitted, but Harris, an instructional aide for children in special education classes, quit his job and moved away from Charlottesville. I don't blame and him. And can the you blame trauma, him? Yeah. The trauma yeah. of that whole 
event. So you were talking about um, on one of our last uh, extra extra episode about uh-huh. in uh, Iran, yeah. how the women are are uh, uh, protesting because right. they the hijab law uh-huh. and uh, the brain drain in yeah. Iran, people leaving. Yes, you know, and it, this this is a problem when you have a a city or a state that is um, behaving this way. Right. You know? It's 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 essentially like a, a a for lack of a better word, a failed state, and people yeah. who would otherwise be producing and br- bringing a richness to the culture and the community and the economy just can't, this. This is not worth it. <laughs> no. Like, uh, no. so they're piecing out and it's yep. it affects Charlottesville's bottom line. And I don't know yeah. why the pe- people, the people on the right cannot see that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they have uh, blinders on, I guess. They sure do. Oh yeah. boy, I would love give me a player blinders. I mean <laughs> what's the what's the pill that um Morpheus gives you so you could stay in the matrix? Can I have can I have one of those? <laughs> but the Unite the Right rally t- really turned deadly when one of the participants drove his car into a crowd of counter protesters, killing paralegal and activist Heather Heyer and injuring several others. Oh my gosh, I'm really like being taken back. Seriously, back to this we, time. Yeah, yeah, two days after the rally, then President Trump, President quote in quotes, Trump yeah. argued that there was quote blame on both sides. I, I, my wig blew from one end of the house to the next when I when heard he him say that. that. Yeah. I couldn't yeah. believe it. Unquote. Now referring to the counter protesters and he wa- wanted the American people to know that some of these white supremacists were quote, very fine people. Unquote. Mm, oh, what a mess. Yeah. 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 That's what us. It, that's, that's America. Uh, he was yeah. president. Yeah. That oh was my God. A tough, tough it was a tough time we are still please don't take us back there no no (laughs) please i hope everybody's registered to vote yeah (laughs) in 2021 more than a dozen of the rally's organizers were found by a jury to be liable for the violence that broke out in charlottesville during the rally Good. Un aplauso. The Anti-Defamation League reported in January 2018 that including Hire's murder, white supremacists and other conservative extremists were responsible for 59 percent of the domestic terror killings, killings, death in 2017, a 20 percent increase over the previous year. And it, good news. Just kidding. No, it's not. It's only increased. It's only got up. Those numbers are not any better. And I think once I, I, there's a reluctance to examine white supremacist terror and violence in the United yeah. States. Like the FBI just forgot that that was a problem. Um, so I, I believe there is a return to that. But anyway, now we're going to get into some <laughs> even more terrible stuff with the saga of Jesse Leroy Matthew Jr. So take us to his early life. Hit it, Beth. Jesse Leroy Matthew Jr. grew up in Charlottesville and went to high school there. It's been reported that he came from a, quote, hardworking blue-collar family, unquote. Matthew wrestled, played football, and ran track at Charlottesville's Albemarle High School. Then in 1998, his junior year, he transferred to the newly completed Monticello High, and at the same time, his parents separated. 
Deborah Carr Matthew retained custody of Jesse and his younger sister, Latasha. Court records show Jesse Matthews Sr. had a history of public intoxication arrests and one misdemeanor indecent exposure conviction. He moved an hour away to Farmville and ended up owing Deborah thousands of dollars in support. According to an ex-girlfriend, Matthew was sexually abused as a child, but we don't have any information about who he was abused by or if it's true or not. Okay. But uh, that's the story. Okay. And people who knew him called him a gentle giant. So here again, we are again with the with gentle the giant gentle thing. gentle giant. Oh, my God. <laughs> so uh, he was... Uh, also described as a quiet guy, maybe a little socially awkward. His friends called him LJ. Friend Rod Brown, who knew LJ for 15 years, said he was, quote, unquote, a cool individual around other guys, but a bit too touchy-feely with the ladies. Quote, he doesn't mean to be creepy. He just He's just a little off, just a little awkward. If he gets around women, I've never seen it not be awkward, unquote. Oh, oh my, my God. God. That's the story of my <laughs> life. Not be awkward. Oh, my God. I feel attacked. I'm just kidding. <laughs> As a high school senior, LJ became co-captain of the Monticello football team. After graduating, he enrolled at Liberty University in Lynchburg. There, he played football as a defensive lineman for the school's team, the Flames, and studied psychology. Virginia's Liberty University is a private evangelical university founded by Jerry Falwell Sr., Liberty University was recently has recently been in the news due to some very unchristian like behavior by Jerry Falwell Jr. Wait, what'd he do? And numerous cases of basically uninvestigated sexual assaults over the last two decades. Well, that's not good. No, not good at all. The university took no meaningful actions against the perpetrators and actively sought to dismiss victims' claims. It's been reported that students were actually discouraged from reporting sexual assault, with some who reported rapes being told that they could be punished. What? Yeah. Side note, there's a documentary coming out in November on Hulu about Jerry Falwell Jr. called God Forbid, the sex scandal that brought down a dynasty. So watch for that coming out. Oh, my God, I cannot wait. Anyway, Matthew attended the university from 2000 to 2002. William Haith, who knew Jesse when both played football at Liberty, said, quote, he was a team player. He was always there and, you know, participating in team activities. He knew how to play football. He was actually great at it. I thought he had potential to do some great things on the football field, unquote. But in October of 2002, Jesse Matthew was named a suspect in an alleged rape at Liberty University in Lynchburg. Because of this, the head coach took him off of the football team, but no criminal charges were filed. Still, Jesse left not just the football team, but the university. He then attended Christopher Newport University in Newport News, Virginia, in January of 2003. On July 24, 2003, 24-year-old Autumn Wind Day went missing from Newport News. Her disappearance remains unsolved. In August of 2003, he joined the football team at CNU, but in September 2003, he was again a suspect in another sexual assault. Whoa. These charges were also dropped. On September 7th, 2003, 31-year-old Sophie May Rivera went missing from Newport News. Her disappearance also remains unsolved. I was going to say at the beginning of this college career of his that that first alleged sexual assault maybe it was a misunderstanding right like i'm thinking benefit of the doubt maybe it was a misunderstanding but this is 
a pattern. It's a pattern. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's definitely a pattern. And then also a pattern on the part of the universities because football programs dismiss make, them. make yeah. a lot of money. So if yeah. people are complaining about these athletes are doing bad things to hurt other students, then that means the school's not going to get as much money. And yeah. Uh, it's all about the Benjamins at the end of the day. Yeah. In October 2003, a month after the sexual assault investigation, Matthew left CNU altogether. Bye. He then went <laughs> back to Charlottesville, driving a cab for a few years. He had a few minor run-ins with police, traffic violations, and trespassing. He then got a job at the University of Virginia Hospital, transporting patients. He also worked as a volunteer football coach, working with and mentoring kids in Charlottesville. Whoa. Yeah, that's... Scary. I don't know if you can do that without getting fingerprinted and background checked. Uh, well, he's a volunteer. Ah. Uh-huh. So I think you can I think they'll take pretty much anyone to volunteer. Wow. Yeah. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seaton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things, from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do, so you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to The Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way. All right. Well, now let's get into the timeline. What the what, Beth? In the fall of 2005, a man attacked, beat, and sexually assaulted a young woman in Fairfax, Virginia. The woman, who is from India, is identified only as R.G. R.G. was walking home at about 8.30 p.m. on a Saturday night after spending the afternoon at a Borders bookstore and then stopping at a giant grocery store. That sounds like a really nice night, (laughs) right? Just hanging out at the bookstore and then walking home, getting some snacks and then getting some groceries. Yeah. And home. Mm-hmm. So Archie was almost at her apartment when she felt somebody behind her. She turned and was face to face with a black man. She asked him if she could help him. He asked about an address. After speaking with him, she walked away quickly and then heard footsteps running behind her. Oh, my God. Suddenly, he lifted her up and started carrying her. He dropped her and then picked her up again and then dragged her by her feet to a grassy and wooded area near a pool. It's been described as a blitzkrieg type of attack. Very fast, very violent. Is that where the word blitz comes from? Yeah. Oh! It's it's a German word. I believe um, it's something having to do with World War II. Oh! I always thought of heard it in the context of football blitzing. You know, oh, like, uh, yeah, it's a very fast, very violent attack on the other side. So you can, yeah, well, you know, yeah, that's where it comes prevail. from for sure. 
Interessante. Yeah. Look at us learning stuff. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, smart friend. Uh, so as she screamed and fought back, her attacker told her, quote, I will kill you if you scream again, unquote. He sat on her legs and began punching her and slamming her head to the ground. She said he choked her and twisted her head, telling her that he was going to kill her. He then took off her pants and put his finger inside of her. Afterwards, he attempted to rape her, but she was able to stop him with her hands. She says she screamed and scratched and fought hard to get away. Wow. This young woman is amazing. Yeah. Wow. She really fought like hell. Yeah. Now that night, a man named Mark Castro was going to a friend's house to watch a boxing match. He pulled into the parking lot of the apartment complex and parked near the wooded area. The lights from his car shining into the area where the man was attacking RG. The attacker stood up, looked towards the parking lot, then took off running. RG then stood up and started walking towards Mark Castro. She was half naked and covered in mud and blood. To Mark, it looked like she He'd nearly been beaten to death. RG told Mark there was a man in the woods. Mark sprinted over to the wooded area, screaming at the top of his voice, telling whoever it was to come out. But the man was gone. He went back to RG and made sure that she got the help that she needed. Oh, my God. Mark is my hero. Oh, Mark. Hip hop air horns. We need more Marks in the world. Yeah. R.G. was taken to the Fairfax Hospital Emergency Room. A sexual assault exam was done, which included fingernail scrapings. R.G. had scratched the hell out of that man, and they were able to obtain DNA from under her fingernails. Another hip-hop air horn. Oh, my God. I love it when DNA comes through. Yeah. So the next day, R.G. was able to describe her assailant to a sketch artist who produced a composite. The DNA evidence was run through the Combined DNA Index System, or CODIS, but they were unable to match it to a suspect. Yet. Yes. (laughs) A few years later, on June 4th, 2009, Charlottesville attorney Eric Wilkie was pulling out of a convenience store south of UVA's Scott Stadium when he heard a persistent honking behind him. The access taxi minivan being driven by Matthew kept following him. All the while, Matthew kept honking and was also shouting out of the window. What the fuck does he want? Matthew boxed him in with the minivan and angrily accused Wilkie of cutting him off. When Wilkie threatened to call the police after Matthew refused to move, Wilkie later told police, quote, he then got out of his car and walked up to my window. He reached in my window and grabbed my cell phone out of my hand. Wow. I attempted to get out of the car to get my phone back. And as I was doing so, he punched me twice in the face. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. The blows knocked off Wilkie's glasses. Matthew took Wilkie's phone to his van where, according to Wilkie, he, quote, eventually calmed down and actually seemed remorseful. I was bleeding from a deep cut in my lip and told him that I was going to need a ride to the hospital to get stitches, unquote. Matthew returned the phone, helped find Wilkie's glasses, and then drove the attorney to the emergency room at the university. (laughs) That is so, wow, to the University of Virginia Medical Center. I don't even know what to say. A month later. Him up and then took him to the hospital. I, what do you, what is, is there a German word for that? (laughs) (laughs) Feels like there should be. (laughs) A a month later, Matthew was arrested on charges of felony grand larceny and misdemeanor assault and battery on Wilkie. In a request for a public defender, Matthew claimed a weekly salary of $150 and $30 cash in total assets. 
Four months later, on October 10th, 2009, Cassandra Morton, age 23, disappeared from a Lynchburg, Virginia neighborhood. She was last seen getting into a black car along Park Avenue in Lynchburg. Cassandra's remains were found six weeks later in the woods on the backside of Candler's Mountain in Campbell County near Camp Hideaway, a retreat owned by Jerry Falwell's Liberty University. Also in October of 2009, 20-year-old Virginia Tech student Morgan Dana Harrington was visiting her parents, Dan and Jill Harrington, in Roanoke, Virginia, for the weekend. That Saturday evening on October 17th, she left to go to a Metallica concert. Uh, I am a big Metallica fan. Are you? Uh, I am, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with friends at the John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville, Virginia. It was the last time her parents saw her alive. While at the concert, Morgan went by herself to the restroom and something happened. No. A witness said that they saw Morgan bleeding from an injury on her face. So it's assumed that at some point between the seat and the restroom, Morgan fell. For some reason, Morgan left the arena, and when she tried to get back in, she was not allowed. Um, has that ever happened to you? You've been, like, drunk at an event, and then you leave, and then you try to get back in, and then you're calling no. your friends, like, uh, they won't let me in. I think I'm going to go home now. And you're, then your friends are like, you're just wasted. You went the wrong way to the bathroom. <laughs> no? No, I, that's never happened to me. I have no. uh, fallen. Uh huh. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah. And I've scraped my knees. Uh -huh. I hit my head once. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've done stuff like that, but uh -huh. uh, yeah, I've I've not gotten locked out of an arena. No. Well, look, this could happen to any of us. Anybody. What I'm yeah. getting at. It's a very yes. common thing. Um, and so getting separated from your friends, separated from your when group. you've been Absolutely. partying and drinking, that happens there? all the time. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yes. And that's my wise friend Beth. Thank you very. <laughs> <laughs> now, Morgan Harrington was last seen on Copley Bridge, alone on foot, possibly injured, unable to get back into the concert. She may have decided to simply find her own way home or her own way to her friend's apartment. On Sunday morning, about 11 a.m., her parents received a call from the University of Virginia police who informed them that Morgan's purse had been found in a parking lot. They knew immediately that something terrible had happened. Within days, Morgan's disappearance was dominated the local news and social media. 2,000 people searching for Morgan over a weekend each day. Morgan's case was one of the first cases that used social media to solicit information and tips and as a crime-solving tool. Wow. Morgan's father said, quote, we felt that the only way that we could help Morgan was to not let Morgan's case be swept under the rug, unquote. Even Metallica tried to help, appealing for the what? public's help for any information in her disappearance, and they offered a reward. <gasps> Oh, my God. I love that yeah. even more now. Wow. <laughs> oh, my hero of the day. Oh, my God. So a couple weeks after Morgan disappeared, a T-shirt was found draped over a bush near the UVA campus. Morgan's DNA was found on the shirt along with unknown DNA. When police ran it through their database, they got a hit. The DNA matched the DNA found underneath the fingernails of RG, the woman who had been attacked in Fairfax. 
In the spring of 2010, Wilkie dropped the assault and larceny charges against Matthew, but Matthew's legal troubles were not over. Around the same time, he was convicted of misdemeanor trespassing at a local garage. In January 2010, three months after Morgan disappeared, human remains were found on a farm just 10 miles from the UVA campus. She was found by a farmer who was checking his fences and saw what he thought initially was a deer carcass. In August 2012, Matthew got a new job as an operating room orderly at UVA Medical Center. A night owl, Matthew became a fixture in restaurants, bars, and clubs along Charlottesville's downtown mall. In the fall of 2014, Hannah Elizabeth Graham, 18, this case, this one gets me. Uh, She was 18 years old, had just started her second year at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville and had just moved into off-campus housing. British-born Hannah moved to Virginia with her parents, John and Sue Graham, when she was five years old. Hannah was a brilliant student, a skilled athlete, a cherished friend, a beloved sister, and the treasured daughter of her parents. Her friend Layla Nasser remembers her as super smart, musically gifted, with a dry sense of humor. She's been described as very confident and driven. She played softball, and in her senior year of high school, she became captain of the team. Sounds like a really rad girl. Yeah. Um, on September 12, 2014, Hannah went out to dinner with friends and then a couple of parties. After she left the last party, she sent a couple of text messages to her friends. At 1.06 a.m., she texted, quote, I'm trying to get to a party, but I'm lost, unquote. Then no one heard from her again. That same evening, Matthew helped coach a football game at Covenant School and then went downtown for a few drinks. He then traveled from bar to bar downtown and had several reported run-ins with women in which his sexual advances crossed the line. Yeah, and the details of the line crossing, (laughs) when I heard and saw them on the page, I was like, that would never fly today. The things that he was doing. That he did. What did he do? Um, like he was just really um aggressive. Like, um, I'm trying to think of an example. Um grabbing I just remember it. I can't can't remember. Okay. I can't remember. But I remember it. I remember it feeling aggressive and thinking that would not fly in 2022. Sorry to uh, divert us. No problem. Are we back on the road now? Yes, we're back on the road. (laughs) (laughs) The downtown Charlottesville pedestrian mall is the last place that Hannah was seen. She was tracked through various video cameras located downtown. A camera caught a black man with long locks, uh, dreadlocks, um, walking down on the downtown mall in the opposite direction that Hannah was walking. He then makes a U-turn and starts following her. In the last video of Hannah, she and the unidentified man were seen walking side by side, his arm around her waist. Several eyewitnesses put her inside the tempo bar with the man. The last time she was seen, she was getting into a car with the same man. Her disappearance was reported within a day. Distraught parents Sue and John Graham appealed for help. John addressed reporters at a press conference saying, quote, This is every parent's worst nightmare. I'm certain that everybody knows that what happened to Hannah could happen to their child. Please, please help us, unquote. Hannah Graham's disappearance exploded on social media and the story gained even more traction as video began to surface. And you can still see the videos Mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. They're on YouTube and stuff. And it it is pretty haunting. Yeah. 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 The search for Hannah Graham became the largest search in Virginia's history. Each day, hundreds of volunteers showed up to search for her. Among the searchers was a woman named Trina Murphy, the aunt of another young woman who had gone missing in Virginia, 17-year-old Alexis Murphy. 
On August 3rd, 2013, Alexis left her home in Shipman, Virginia, on a routine errand. Shipman is less than 40 miles from Charlottesville. Alexis was planning to go to Lynchburg to buy hair extensions because she was getting her hair done for her senior pictures. She was described by her mother as a very happy child who loved making people laugh. She also loved her family, social media, sports, fashion, and the color pink. I just got a shout out to you, Beth. Uh, the The descriptions of the victims, I really appreciate. They, oh, they, good. It, it is um, really nice to hear nice things about. Um, the victims he's, he's yeah them, so. i do try Thank to get you. there there was quite a bit of information yeah. on this one of the victims so that yeah. that was very helpful <laughs> yeah it is helpful and um i i say that to also point out that um where we talk about serial killers of color because and we it allows us to be able to talk about victims of color and right. um just i hope people are noticing the contrast that sometimes we don't get the opportunity to say all the wonderful things that were true about the victims because right. they're just not public right because they are women of color so it is nice to be able to do that and every all the victims um well there should be no victims period but it it right. is just the contrast is pretty obvious to me. So that's all I'm saying. Well, Alexis is black. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, yep. shame on me. Uh, <laughs> just pretend like I'm not here. You're talking to my ghost. Her mother and aunt knew something was seriously wrong when they heard nothing from Alexis for hours. Alexis was still a teenager. She was in constant contact with her friends and family via phone calls, texting and tweeting. Her mother said, quote, there was not a single tweet, not a single text message, not a single phone call, no activity on her cell phone once she left Liberty, unquote. Liberty is the Liberty gas station where Alexis was last seen. Like Hannah Graham, her movements were caught on tape. In surveillance video, Alexis's car is seen leaving the gas station, apparently following an SUV. Hmm. Investigators identified the owner of the SUV as Randy Taylor, and witnesses say he often would just hang around the gas station watching people. It didn't take much time to link Taylor to Alexis's disappearance. They found her hair extensions, jewelry, and acrylic fingernails in his trailer, along with her blood on the shirt that he was seen wearing in the video that day. Police found her car in a movie theater parking lot in Charlottesville. Inside the car, they found DNA they couldn't identify, but none of it matched the unknown DNA from the Harrington murder and the Fairfax rape. Even without finding Alexis, Taylor was arrested and charged with murder. He was later found guilty and convicted unanimously of first-degree murder and abduction with intent to defile. This verdict was the third successful prosecution of murder without a body in Virginia state history. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, and they're on a roll over there. <laughs> uh, so now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest. Take it away, Beth. On day six of Hannah Graham's disappearance, acting on a tip, police identified the man seen on tape with her in the mall. Within a day, the man's name leaked out. He was 32-year-old Jesse Leroy Matthew Jr., and he walked into the police station voluntarily. He told police he wanted a lawyer. He didn't answer any questions and wasn't interested in telling the police anything. Thing. He then left the police station. With no concrete evidence, police couldn't hold him, but they did begin to follow him. Several hours after Matthew's visit to the police station, while police were following Matthew, he left his grandmother's house driving his sister's car. Suddenly, he sped off and police lost sight of him. Hmm. It was in a residential neighborhood and the police did not have the authority to chase him in that area. 
wow, so the police didn't do something they wanted to do because of rules? Yeah. Wow, I'm surprised. Now, when news broke that Jesse Matthew was on the lam, Twitter exploded. Oh, sometimes I love Twitter. And (laughs) just days after fleeing, Matthew, still on the run, was formally charged in Hannah's abduction. Four days after he fled, Jesse Matthew was spotted in Galveston, Texas, on a near-empty beach about 1,300 miles from Charlottesville. What the... (laughs) On September 24th, a woman named Karen Monk was at the beach when she saw a man in a tent a few yards down from her. She didn't think much of it until he drove by and stared at her. She recognized him from the mugshot that had been circulating in the news and on wanted posters. Ooh, my jaw hit the floor. So she said, quote, his facial features are unmistakable. I just held my breath, hoping he would keep going. My heart literally probably stopped beating. I knew that was him. I'd seen his face on the news every morning, unquote. Wow. Karen called every law enforcement agency she could think of. Karen. Okay. Karen comes through in the the history of all Karens. This is the first one who did the right thing. Wow. We we make fun of the name Karen. Uh, We call people Karens. But just because your name is Karen doesn't mean you are a Karen. And this was not a Karen. This was not a Karen. just happened to be Karen. Yes. And she just happened to do the right thing. Wow. Yeah, she called uh, every law enforcement agency she could think of, uh, finally getting a response from the Galveston County Sheriff's Office. Mm. They found Jesse Matthew on the beach and arrested him without incident. He was initially charged with abduction with intent to defile, but he was not talking. I just think that I'm not going to be able to let this go. She called every law enforcement, every law enforcement agency she could think of. Yeah, which beyond nine one one, who else is yeah, there? Karen, I know. Us. I think I would be just calling nine one whistle. <laughs> Karen, what? Yeah. Wow. She's uh, got all these law enforcement agencies on speed, on speed dial. dial. They're on her refrigerator. <laughs> 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 So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done. And that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. Hannah Graham was still missing. The search expanded out from Charlottesville and the university campus to the surrounding countryside. No one was giving up and the volunteers kept coming. 
Then on October 18th, 2014, 35 days after Hannah disappeared and five years and one day after the abduction and murder of Morgan Harrington, a search team discovered human remains on an abandoned property along Old Lynchburg Road in southern Albemarle County. The property was within a few miles of a home where Jesse Matthew had grown up, about six miles out of downtown Charlottesville. The site where Morgan Harrington's remains had been found four years earlier was only a few miles away. An autopsy report identified the remains as those of Hannah Graham. And now we are going to move into the trial. Hit it, Biff! (laughs) That always makes me laugh. (laughs) Jesse Matthews' DNA matched that of the Fairfax rapist and the DNA found on Morgan Harrington's T-shirt. On October 20th, 2014, two days after Hannah Graham's remains were discovered, authorities indicted Matthew for the attempted capital murder, abduction, and sexual assault of R.G. in 2005. This is a long time coming. Yeah. Uh, So on Monday, February 2nd, 2015, Matthew was indicted in Albemarle County for the abduction and murder of Hannah Graham. By spring of 2015, Matthew faced two trials, one for the murder of Hannah Graham and one for the sexual assault on the woman known as R.G. The trial of Jesse Matthew for the attempted murder, abduction, and sexual assault of R.G. began in June of 2015. R.G. had moved back to India, so she had to travel all the way back to Fairfax, Virginia for Matthew's trial, hoping to help put him behind bars. R.G. testified about that horrible night, saying that her attacker, quote, put me on the ground and sat on my legs, and he banged my head on the grass, on the ground. He hit my face beat me. I was screaming and yelling, unquote. RG was a very good witness. And what a, a, a the strength the bravery. and bravery yeah, of that yeah. woman to be able to face the court. To fly and all attacker. the way back from yeah. India. Like mm-hmm. she could have just been like, fuck it. I'm, I'm not living there anymore. But she right. didn't. She came all the way back. All yeah. the way back and went through that. They call, we've said this before, but they call the, um, aftermath the trial and the seeking of justice the second attack or the second rape yeah the second. you have to relive it all over. yeah so right. shout out to that right. to, to rg to rg yeah mm-hmm. dna was pivotal to the trial experts testified that the sample from matthew matched what was found under rg's fingernail after two and a half days the prosecution rested and it was the defense's turn to present their case Oh, it's our turn now? Um uh, well, the the defense asked for a brief recess, but this brief rece- recess turned into a long recess. Hold for applause, hold for applause. Okay. And during this time, Matthew's family was taken in the back. They were seen going back and forth and his mom was in tears. Matthew had made the decision to take an Alford plea, which surprised everyone. An Alford plea is a type of guilty plea in which a defendant maintains their innocence, but admits that the prosecution's evidence would likely result in a guilty verdict if brought to trial. He was sentenced to three life sentences. Wow. And that Alford plea, I only know about it because of the staircase uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. show. Yeah, um, that's right. They may, I mean, he they did a whole too. episode where they explained it in great detail, and right. I never would have known. Um, but that's interesting. Um, yeah. 
to say the least. So on September 16th, Matthew was finally indicted for the murder of Morgan Harrington nearly six years after her death. The trial date was set for October 2016. The trial for Hannah Graham's murder was already scheduled for July 2016. On March 2nd, 2016, just a few months before Hannah Graham's murder trial was to begin, Jesse Matthew Jr. accepted a plea deal. He pleaded guilty to the first-degree murder of Hannah Graham and the first-degree murder of Morgan Harrington. It seems to me his ego is deflating a a tad bit. Uh, In exchange for pleading guilty, Matthew no longer faced the death penalty. He was sentenced to four consecutive life terms without the possibility of ever being released. Both the Harrington and the Graham family supported the plea agreement. The 2003 disappearances of Autumn Wynn Day and Sophie May Rivera from Newport News remain unsolved. We don't know if there's any connection to Matthew, but it is interesting that they disappeared at the same time that he was living there. I'll say. Now, Matthew was also investigated in the 2009 disappearance of Cassandra Morton in Lynchburg. Morgan Harrington and Cassandra Morton disappeared within a week of each other, and Matthew had ties to Lynchburg. Detectives gave Matthew a serious look, but determined that he was not in the area at the time of her disappearance and death. So now we're going to get into where are they now? Tell us, Beth. Matthew was sent to the Supermax Red Onion State Prison in Wise County. In 2019, he was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer and Uh transferred to a state prison in Waverly, Virginia, approximately 40 miles south of Richmond to receive treatment. As of today, he is back in Red Onion State Prison. Oh, no. Oh, is it terminal? Good. (laughs) Dan and Jill Harrington formed the Help Save the Next Girl Safety Advocacy Group. When Alexis Murphy went missing, Jill Harrington contacted Alexis's mother, Laura, to partner in the search for Alexis and offer emotional support. I love that. The Murphy family have since become advocates of Help Save the Next Girl. Alexis never has been found. Hannah Graham's mother, Susan Graham, said that her daughter accomplished great things, but in a way people never would have imagined. She enabled law enforcement to apprehend a serial rapist who had been, quote, hiding in plain sight in Charlottesville for years. She is a heroine, unquote. Wow. Oh, my God. That is beautiful. Yeah. Um, it gives so me chill, chill bumps. It really does. Turning yeah. something so awful, ugly, and horrific into... Um, a silver lining? Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. I just, I don't know what to say. So, Beth, <laughs> tell us what you say. What do you think made Jesse Leroy Matthew Jr. snap and your takeaways? Well, it sounds to me like his dad was an alcoholic and he probably didn't have the best early life. Mm-hmm. And that year when he changed schools and his parents separated, um, yeah. that, that had to have been rough. Yeah. Um, I don't really know enough about his early life. Uh, I mean, there was a an alleged sexual molestation. Yeah. Um, which I don't I don't actually doubt that that happened. It probably did. But, yeah. Um, so I, I think he had a rough childhood, as mm-hmm. a lot of these guys do, and a lot of anger. Yeah. Um, But I can't help but think that Liberty University's cavalier attitude towards sexual assault played some factor. 
Yeah. yeah. And and um, that kind of evangelical Christianity um, altogether. I mean, oh, they, my God. Whoa. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, they're, my God. They're so patriarchal. Yeah. You know, the man is the head of the household. Yeah. The woman is her his helpmate right whatever the head of head of the household says is uh-huh. you know, yeah law or whatever right. you know they they just they discount women and um women's only worth is uh having babies Ooh, you know yeah made the <laughs> taking Lord care open. of the house yeah uh-huh. um, yeah and I just feel like that was probably, it could have been a factor. And I, I, I don't, I think, oh, it, go ahead. I, oh, oh, I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. And I don't know what it's like in Virginia. I've never um, lived in Virginia. Crime Con um, 2024. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the culture is like. Yeah. But I do wonder if that attitude is, is more pervasive, like throughout the state. I don't know. Oh. It seems to me like there's a lot of missing and murdered women around Charlotte. After looking and, at this case, yeah, yeah, uh huh, really seems it like does it does seem that way. Yeah, and this is a really sad story in in a lot of ways, but I yeah. I do love how the victims' parents and family bonded together and turned tragedy into something good. Yeah, uh, to help other women. So yeah. that that part was beautiful. Although it's it's really sad that it had to come about that way. Absolutely. I was going to say, um, karma's a bitch. <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah. This is the kind of ending that we don't typically see in yeah. um, horrific true crime cases. Victims, families uniting after, through their pain to make something good come out of something really terrible. Yeah. And the bad guy getting caught, the right bad guy actually being charged and conv- and convicted. Yep. And then he gets a terminal illness. Is <laughs> I mean, not really, is it Christmas? But that that never it never plays out that way. Um, And so I just am, I guess, reveling in it. Like, I just am in awe that that is how this all worked out, that he in the end, he is also suffering really yeah. badly. I mean, I yeah. don't know if you've ever watched anybody die of cancer, but it really sucks and it's yeah. very painful. Um, so I, that um, leads me to reiterate the karma point. Um, I also note that Matthews was a gifted athlete, a gifted yeah. young black athlete, and his talents mm-hmm. were valued um, and got him into college and got him into spaces, um, probably got him attention from women. Um, but that made May have inflated his sense of self and ego. And he might have thought that it was okay to approach or prey on women um, and get what he wanted out of them without any consequences. And yeah. I think to your point about the university, um, they didn't stop it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They didn't, uh, they, they didn't they, do much about it. Their attitude towards women and sexual assault is pretty gross. In universities in general. Um, yeah. I think that's an issue. They can do better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, as we said, uh, he's been linked to numerous other sexual assaults and disappearances of women and femmes in that area. And so, um, if you are paying attention and look in our show notes, I I look and see what the status is of those other cases. I mean, um, if the internet sleuths have at it, um, because there's, (laughs) there's still a lot of question marks on, on this one. So, yeah. Um, now we're going to get into how not to get murdered. So. 
If you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. Yes, indeed. What do you got, Beth? Well, uh, we mentioned it in the script, Help Save the the Next Girl yeah. is the nonprofit organization that began as a conduit to spread information and promote personal safety, founded by Dan and Jill Harrington, Morgan Harrington's parents. Help Save the Next Girl works with many groups who focus on safety and violence prevention, and they have a huge list of safety tips. Oh. Um, so I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to tell you all to check it out at helpsavethenextgirl.com, and we'll have the link in our show notes. I- I am so grateful that you put this um, tip in there. This is um, exciting. It's like yeah. not just one tip. It's a whole backpack. It's a huge oh. list. It's yeah. a whole yeah. Santa sleigh. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but I'm excited about Christmas. It's a whole Santa sleigh of <laughs> tips on how not to get murdered. Thank you very much. And that's helpsavethenextgirl.com. Got you. Yep. Uh, now it's shout out time where we shout out any content by or about any people of color, othered, marginalized folks or any true crime goodies. I um, just have to share this true crime goodie. My Venezuelan boss um, told me about it and okay. he loves true crime. <laughs> oh, uh, wow. That's but he awesome. does not know who Wendy <laughs> is. So, <laughs> so I'm navigating those conversations very carefully. Anyway, right. um, it's called The Patient and it's on Hulu. And it's about a therapist who gets kidnapped by his serial killer patient. Whoa. And the patient wants to stop killing people. And he's <laughs> looking for mental health treatment from Steve Carell. And it's it's not a super diverse cast. I mean, David Allen Greer is in it. Um, I'm not sure... Um, what other uh, uh, but it, for the most part it's two white guys in a room talking um <laughs> but uh it is really really like a nice escape if you'd love true crime but prefer low stakes at a time like this because it's yeah. fiction it's great it's also Steve Carell, David Allen Greer's in one episode that I've seen so far so it's also got this dark comedy vibe to it it's it's really nice oh cool I'll have to check it cleanser. out yeah yeah, yeah. What do you got? Well, I've been watching Andor, the story Hell? of the it's a, a Star Wars show. Oh and it's on Disney Plus. Wait a minute. We've been watching it too. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It's great. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah, it's the story of rebel spy Cassian Andor's formative years of the rebellion. Cassian is portrayed by Diego Luna, who's a Mexican actor, and yeah, yeah. It's, it's really fun. It's really good. I like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. We all. It's uh, it's good for the family, and again, just uh, representation is important for all of us. So yeah. yeah. Uh, so so that's Andor, the story of Rebel Spy Cassian on Disney Plus and uh, The Patient on Hulu. Oh, right on. my gosh. Wait a minute. Are you telling me we're done? 
What? No! How is this possible? Somebody stop this. Somebody <laughs> do something. Oh, well, I guess that's it. But until next time, where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is fruitloopspod.com, and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. Join our discussion group on Facebook at Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron through Patreon. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website. That's right. This is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every t- I'm sorry. I've been reading Harry Potter every night with my kids and I've been working on my app. Uh, so this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. Four hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series. And that's when Muda, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Ohio is a land of mystery, from missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies, from myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com.